Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. I'm John Potports, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Noah Rothman is out today and tomorrow. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. So, um... Uh, Occam's razor is the principle that the simplest and most direct explanation for any given phenomenon is probably the correct one. And so looking at um, the behavior of the Democratic Party over the last 48 hours, Occam's razor would suggest that any effort to discern a Machiavellian strategy according to which uh, various Democrats have uh, various complex long-term plans that are going to result in the passage of everything that they want, or even some of the things that they want, uh, does not pass the smell test. Uh, Occam's razor suggests that the chaos that we are seeing is, in fact, what is going on. Uh, And um, Ed Morrissey, our friend at Hot Air, has a very good little piece today in which he says... Uh, looking at all this, Republicans should get uh, the popcorn ready because what we're seeing here is the um, atomization uh, and the uh, uh, dissolution of the Biden uh, Democratic Party into a uh, chaotic miasma that uh, is like it, it may be more likely to get absolutely nothing than even part of what they are seeking um and it's an interesting point because if you're like if you're like if you're a team supporter if you're if you support a team like you're happy to see your rival team you know fail and so a lot of you know republicans and conservatives look at this gleefully and say aha you see this is pretty funny you know i'm enjoying this here's the popcorn um if you're not looking at it uh uh like a team uh even if you don't want anything to pass, right? If you don't like the hard infrastructure bill, the reconciliation bill, I mean, you, every rational person wants the debt ceiling to pass and believes that the government needs to be funded so that, you know, like Medicare checks go out and, you know, whatever, or, you know, social security checks go out. Um, uh, you look at this and you say, you know, we are, we are, we are heading down this path toward um, national Collapse may not be the right word, but um, I don't know what you call it, immobilization, political, social, large-scale immobilization at a time when... Paralysis. Paralysis. China's on the move. Uh, you know, Iran's on the move. Um, Iran's uh, president gave a gloating speech uh, to the UN uh, from Tehran, gloating about the end of America's central position in the world and what they're going to do to, you know, take advantage of it, all of that. So I, I, I mean, Russia, I don't want, Russia's yeah. dictating terms by which the U S is supposed to, um, not base any soldiers in the, uh, countries around Afghanistan too. Right. Uh, also, um, the closest advisor to President Zelensky uh, in Ukraine was assassinated yesterday, uh, I believe, on the streets of Kiev. Um, gee, I wonder who did that. Uh, so there's um, a lot going on, and it's not good 
that our political system is paralyzed. Uh, I mean, maybe it's better that our political system is paralyzed than that we, you know, head down the road to, you know, socialism and serfdom. Um, but that is not necessarily, that's not the only road. What's, um, why Ed Morrissey says, take out the popcorn, um, is uh, that he saw Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, say, hey, you know what? Um, hey, Senate, you guys, why don't you pass the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation package first, package first, so we, we can vote on it second? Uh, which is a fascinating thing for her to say because, of course, that that's the thing that's not going to happen. We have two Democratic senators saying they are not going to vote for the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation package. Joe Manchin and and and, and uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema. So she's saying, uh, "You take this cup from our lips, and then we'll 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 go on." Well, Which that's because it's, right? it's a poison chalice. Not a, that's why, right? And why is it a poison chalice for her? And Ed says, interestingly, he says, look, back in 2009, the House took the lead on a climate change bill for Obama. uh, And uh, that bill didn't even get a vote in the Senate. If you remember, one of the the people who made sure that it didn't get a vote in the Senate was the aforementioned Joe Manchin, who, if I recall correctly, or maybe he was running for, I don't remember exactly what happened, uh, took a gun and in a television commercial shot a bullet through the climate change bill. <laughs> um, so uh, she's like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not, we're not going to go walk out on a plank past this bill and then have you reject it. So you do it first. So in, in some sense, what he's saying is all the cards have now been thrown up in the air. Uh, Pelosi doesn't know what to do. She's got the progressives and the moderates in her own uh, band fighting with each other. Uh, And they don't even have funding for the government ready, and they don't have a debt ceiling ready. And they promised, as part of this deal, to get this giant vote in favor of the hard infrastructure bill, which, remember, passed with a veto-proof majority in the Senate in the original go, and with, I think, 19... Republican votes in the House or something, some a large, relatively large number of Republican votes, the promise was there would be a vote on Monday, on the 27th of September. And the funny thing is Priyala, uh, I can't, how do you pronounce her name? Pramila J- Jayapal. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of frazzled this morning. Pramila Jayapal said yesterday, well, you know, these dates are arbitrary, the 27th of September. That's that's arbitrary. It's actually the opposite of arbitrary. That date was a necessary precondition but for this, the fact that there was going to be this vote that, that got the bill in position to achieve the second vote on final passage. Because what happens is just to very quickly, House passes, the Senate passes, they go into reconciliation, they write a bill, and then they each have to pass it again. That's what's supposed to happen on Monday, once it is passed on Monday, if it were to be passed on Monday, it would then go to Biden for his signature and they could have a big whoop-de-doo event where they where they have a big signing and he and he takes a victory. But this is why you should maybe pop extra popcorn, because what happened yesterday is that you had Biden doing his Biden thing, the thing he ran on and campaigned on, which is like, I'm going to bring everybody together. I'm going to do my, you know, helping the legislators legislate 
uh, stuff. And it was, a, it, by most accounts, an utter disaster. So some of the news that filtered out of it uh, in reports in Politico and elsewhere said, first of all, of course, someone off the record said, well, you know, it, it was Joe Biden. So Joe did a lot of the talking. Um, and But what you did have is those progressives actually begging Biden to help delay that vote. And that's weird. That's basically spiking their own uh, legislation, which doesn't make much sense. You also had uh, Biden seemingly in some kind of roundabout way, adopting the progressive position, demanding that the moderates come up with a number that's satisfying, demand that the moderates come up with a deal, um, which kind of de facto assumes that he wants the more aggressive, progressive uh, viewpoint to to win here. But he's not, his effectiveness in this particular coalition is not going to be what I think he and his, his, uh, political supporters believe it to be. It didn't come at one day of negotiations with all these folks and nobody's really budged, right? Nobody's budged. And he, he actually just looks like he's like meddling angry grandpa, you know, demanding that they all talk and assuming it would all be wrapped up. And, and it didn't work that way this time because of the tenuousness of this coalition right now. The progressives wanting to delay the vote, I think it doesn't make sense either tactically or strategically, it makes some emotional sense in, the, in, in that they, they want to screw over the moderates. You know, they, 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 right. they, want, they, would, they, would, they would like to see the promise broken. Here's what Joe Manchin said, Biden said to him yesterday. Please just work on it. Give me a number and tell me what you can live with and what you can't. Not to get all uh, good governmenty on you, but um, this is not the way legislation is supposed to be written. It's like, okay, two point eight seven trillion—that's my number. Now, everybody, come down to the table, and we'll divvy up the two point eight seven trillion. Aren't you supposed to like have policies that you support, and you assemble them, and you see how much they cost, and then that's what the bill costs. No, no, this is the, the watch one, me pull yeah. a yeah, watch yeah. me pull a rabbit out of my hat approach to legislating. But this is what they got in the habit of doing with the COVID emergency relief, actually, because in in a sense we needed to do it that way. We was just like just throw money at that problem, and they want to continue that as the new normal. Right. But, but yeah, you know, Noah's right in, in having pointed out earlier in the week or last week that this was never dictated by needs or policies. It was dictated by the size of the number. Right. And they already think, the progressives, if we understand them correctly, this is part of the crisis that they're facing. They already think that they've compromised because their number was $6 trillion. So it's down in their head to $3.5 trillion. They've already compromised to a nearly unacceptable degree. That's the world in which we are living, in which they are looking at this and saying, you know, Hey, we we came way down, you know. That's as far as we. I'm sorry. That's really just as far as we can go. Um, and again, important to note. We note this all the time. If this were 1965 and Joe Biden were Lyndon Johnson, he would have a 180 seat margin in the House and 68 Democratic senators to pass at will gigantic social legislation. Joe Biden has a three-seat majority in the House and a 50-50 Senate. And as someone keeps emailing me, I should say, it's actually a 48-52 in the Senate because Bernie Sanders and Angus King 
who caucus with the Democrats aren't even Democrats, you know? So the Democratic Party doesn't even have 50 votes that are officially Democratic. Not that that matters. It's, you know, basically functions as the Democratic uh, coalition. Um, but um, let me let me uh, point this out to you. Um, Matt Continetti and I were talking yesterday, and he made this very brilliant point that um, uh, this is all Donald Trump's doing. If we want to give credit if all this falls apart and the Democratic Party looks like a disaster and all of this spending tanks, a credit will be due Donald Trump for one reason and one reason only, which is that Donald Trump was responsible for the loss of the two Georgia Senate seats to the Democrats. Had he not done his psychotic thing with the votes and the voting and 110,000 people staying home and then handing those two seats to um, to the Democrats, uh, the fantasy that they could get all this would never have been born. They would have been in a situation in which there were either forty nine or you know there were either forty nine Democratic votes or there were fifty two Republican votes, and the entire year would have progressed differently. They had this moment of what what might maybe I'll, maybe I'm going to eat crow because in a month they'll get all this passed and then you know, this will make me look ridiculous. They had a moment of genuine madness where they looked at the fact that they had attained this surprising ability to get things passed in the Senate and said, wow, we have 50 votes plus Kamala Harris. Let's spend $6 trillion. When that entire thing relied upon at least one senator, Joe Manchin, who represents a state, that voted for Trump by 40 points. So does Donald, Donald Trump deserve the credit for driving, for being the final act of Donald Trump's residency, political act, not being September, uh, January 6th, but being his behavior that led to the loss of the two seats in Georgia that has finally driven the Democrats insane? Probably, but I will say it, it, the message of that of those two Senate races going to the Democrats was the lesson that was learned by moderates and old hands and the sort of Pelosi Schumer mansions of the world uh, was not the same lesson that the Progressive Coalition took from it. Obviously, and they're in a way they're fighting over the meaning of that victory by the way that they're pushing the legislation now, because it seems like this is this is the subtext of a lot of these battles is the old hands know what is coming. They are, and, and several people, and I think we have as well on this podcast pointed out that what's happening to them is similar to what happened with the Tea Party and the Republicans, right? I mean, they're, if, if a vocal minority is starting to move the messaging and move policy in a way that puts fear in the hearts of others whose constituents might support some of the minority views, then you're not going to end up crafting legislation that that is that is bound to be uh, popular among not only your your extreme progressive base but the rest of Democratic voters. And they're in that position now because I don't think for a minute that Pelosi or Schumer think that their their margin is vast. But their progressives are acting and wanting them to behave as if it is. Look, um, when Ted Cruz was tormenting Mitch McConnell in 2013 with his strategy to shut the government, whatever he was doing. Mitch McConnell hated Ted Cruz. Mitch McConnell thought Ted Cruz 
was being an ass and an idiot and was being destructive. And in fact, I think you could make the claim that depending on how you want to look at this, what McConnell foresaw was a kind of, once again, we're back in the what is centrifugal and what is centripetal, centripetal force that might lead exactly to what happened, which was the election of Trump, which you can say was a good thing or a bad thing, whatever. But that in his mind as a practical legislator, what Cruz had done was doing was terrible and he was angry about it. And he, a lot of people knew, you know, about his anger, uh, even though he's so, you know, I mean, knew that, knew that he felt this way. They, they, uh, do you see uh, Schumer and Pelosi acting as though they understand what the progressives are, are, are doing is destructive? Do you see Biden? I understand you want to treat them gingerly and with respect and all of that. Uh, but where are the leaks that say these people are going to stro- destroy our our? our you can't. Uh, I mean, I, I think they'll, they they will be coming down the pike just as they came after the 2020 election, right? Um, there were there were you know all the yeah. the, the democratic recriminations about defunding uh, police and 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 other uh, squad oriented policies. Um, I, I think, I think, I think there will be leaks to that effect. But there's a, di- there's a big difference between the progressive coalition right now and the tea party and the progressive coalition has weaponized very effectively identity politics and they've weaponized it against their own side, almost more aggressively than they have against the other. And I don't think Schumer and Pelosi, both old white people with a lot of wealth and power want to be on the receiving end of the squad's identity politics attacks. If they come, because if you notice, I mean, AOC, obviously being the, the mystery of this technique, but there are others who play it well also. If you disagree with them on policy, they turn it into you hate women of color or you don't like working class women of color or people of color. They are able to take policy disagreements and turn them into identity politics uh, claims. And their own party, the Pelosi who kneeled in her Kente cloth, is fearful of that aspect of her coalition. I, I think there is a parallel to the Tea Party. Which is if you if you said, look, we have to fund the government, or uh, you know we can, we we have to raise the debt limit, or we have to do X, Y, or Z, uh, you were called a rhino. Uh, you're a rhino. Uh, you're just like them. Uh, you're not fighting. You have no fight. So the uh, the um, the perfect poison pit whatever for. You know, uh, poison's not the right. I'm trying to think. The, the the perfect the thing that most frightens a Democrat in 2021 is having identity politics unleashed on them. The thing that put fear in the hearts of all Republicans in 2011 and probably you know through o- over time was the idea that you weren't fight that you were caving to the blob and you weren't a fighter. You were a wimp. You were a rhino. You were actually a secret liberal. Right. But being called a racist in today's political climate is far worse because you also will have the media and cultural pile on that. I think the Republicans called rhinos. The media was like, yeah, we are, you know, they're terrible. They're all terrible. We, we dislike all of them. But if you're a, if you're a moderate Democrat and you're called out for being a racist, the media is going to have a field day with you. I just want to say there there may be something potentially to look forward to here in a more genuine way, not just in terms of entertainment value. If this fighting sinks the bills and and we end up with this huge failure on the part of the Democrats come next week, 
maybe it's the start of the moderates and Pelosi and Biden and whoever else. Maybe they stop tiptoeing around uh, the, the 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 progressives. Maybe 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 they they no longer they cease playing the game of trying to please everyone on all sides and finally come out and say, okay, we've got a problem on our hands that we have to deal with squarely. I mean, look, I think that I think the central issue here is that it is the first year of the Biden presidency. Uh, in various presidencies, bad things have happened in the first year. Uh, Trump lost the repeal of Obamacare vote in July of 2017. Um, could have gotten it earlier. Uh, this was part and parcel of his unbelievable incompetence as a first-time politician and president that uh, he rejected the very sensible idea that you should repeal Obamacare and then give it two years to write the replacement and have a transition period for reasons that elude me and seem to suggest that he, you know, listened to morons and like to listen to morons. He did not accept that very simple, very plain, very straightforward deal and ended up, you know, having this terrible defeat that presaged his eventual defeat. Uh, If he had been a workable, successful politician in 2017, 2018, passing more legislation than just the tax cut, his argument to the American people that he had done things for them or had done pop, you know, at that time it would have been popular, whatever. Okay. So uh, that happened. And then of course, in 1993, 1994, Clinton lost the healthcare, the famous, you know, jury rigged, crazy Clinton healthcare bill, which never even came up for a vote and then got slaughtered in 1994. And Obama, as we said, lost this climate change bill, but of course, and got, killed in 2010, but he got killed in 2010 because he was actually too successful with with the passage of other legislation. If Biden, if this goes down, uh, Biden will have to put together, uh, he will, he will have a shattered presidency and political coalition, and he's got to be president for another three years. And if McConnell had his way, McConnell would then look at this and say, okay, you gave it a shot. You tried it your way. Everything's shattered. We've had five really bad years here, which we can't get anything done together. We had the infrastructure bill. I voted for it, and it fell to pieces. What What are we going to do now? We got to run the country together for the next three years without, you know, having you know China take over Taiwan and stuff like that. What are we going to do now? But I don't know if the Republican Party can do that. I don't know that McConnell. You know, I mean, the question is, you know, this falls apart and, and what then? And we have no answer for that. But that is because Biden and his people are not only bad at their jobs, but fell prey to this deranged fantasy that they could pass a second great society with a totally 50-50 Congress. You know, as close to being at parity as Congress has ever been I think pretty much in American history, certainly in modern American history, mm-hmm. a situation in which you do not presume that you can create revolutionary change because you literally don't have a mandate for it, period. And you also ran on a mandate of healing and unity and, and you know, soul restoration, um, which isn't the same thing as let's blow this thing up and remake society. 
But, I mean, you could make a claim that, you know, healing takes all this money. Like, he could do that. He could say, I'm sure. healing. By but that's not what he's arguing. Right. Right. Because because uh, somebody said, oh, you can be FDR. And he was like, oh, I can be FDR. Yeah. Here, have never, an ice cream cone. You can be FDR. Anyway. Never, I, never I, underestimate I, the power of vanity in a politician's yes. career arc. <laughs> Christine Rosen. Uh, yes. I am turning to you uh, for our first spot um, from our friends at the Tikva Fund. Thank you. Yes, I wanted to once again talk about Tikva Online Academy and its fall courses for 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th graders. Listeners of this podcast know that Jews should love America, that Israel is a heroic nation, and that Jewish history is exceptional. But how do we share these ideas and values with the young people in our lives? That's where Tikva Online Academy can help. As a new take on Hebrew school that invites your children, grandchildren, or students to explore these propositions in depth and at a high level. Tikva's seminar-style classes meet live over Zoom on weeknights and Sundays for spirited discussion with master teachers and small groups of outstanding students. Um, I'm very excited to be teaching one of these courses uh, this fall on the ethics of social media, but there are many other exciting classes on offer, which include Jewish Ideas in the American Story, Zionism and Israel's Founding Debates, Judaism, Science and Technology, Introduction to American Politics, Epic Speeches of the Cold War, and Philosophy, Politics, and the Hebrew Bible, as well as many other more unique five-week seminars that cover Jewish thought, Zionist history, American politics, and Western civilization. To join Tikva Online Academy's community of ideas, go to tikvafund.org slash academy. That's tikva, T-I-K-V-A-H, fund.org slash academy to browse all the fall offerings and apply today. If you use promo code COMMENTARY at checkout, you'll save $50 on your child's first course. Again, that's tikvafund.org backslash academy and use promo code COMMENTARY. Applications for classes are due September 30th, so inspire the middle and high schoolers in your life to Jewish excellence with Tikva Online Academy. We thank them for their sponsorship. So let's talk more about this whole question of uh, the countries losing the thread and the inability to have sort of like a rational understanding of some of the things that are going on. Yesterday was a landmark day in the fight against the coronavirus. As of yesterday, Americans 12 and up 75% of Americans have now had at least one shot, which of course means that in three weeks or two weeks or whatever it is, that number will be, 75% of Americans will be fully vaccinated by around October 10th. And we're about to introduce the vaccination of Americans under 12 who are very much less in need of vaccination. Uh, given the incredibly tiny number of uh, kids who uh, get COVID to such an extent that they are hospitalized and or killed by it. We're still under 500 deaths over the past 18 months of people from the ages of zero to 12 uh, out of, you know, almost 700,000, right? So they need it less 
but they will also be coming online uh, once that emergency approval happens, at least to Pfizer. Um, why isn't anybody uh, talking this up? Why, why uh, 386 million doses of vaccine have been delivered into American arms? And we seem to have a conspiracy of both parties that wishes to treat this as though we are living in November of 2020. Well, I mean, I think in one respect, it's it's a, there's just a sort of basic uh, image problem here in that as long as daily COVID deaths are high, it's hard to talk up any aspect of our response. Um, not that that's fair, but um, I think it just does make it hard to celebrate uh, in any sense um, advances. Okay, but Christine, the thing that everybody was afraid of, in, and I think legitimately, fairly afraid of, at the beginning of July when Delta began raging, was that we did not know how effective the vaccines were actually going to be against it, right? We did. We really didn't know. And the question was, would it, could it mutate again? Would it have this unique power? Was there a certain given population within the vaccinated population that might be uniquely susceptible to it and that it would evade the vaccine's protections? I believe the number remains 99% or above uh, of vaccinated people All that all deaths you know, uh, are among the unvaccinated around 99% and hospitalizations a little lower. And that's now after three months of, two and a half or three months of Delta raging through the country. So the legitimate fear that this more contagious variant might uh, elude the protections that we had placed in everybody's arms against it uh, is pretty much disproved, right? It's pretty much that that people should be settled. They are not settled. Well, the, the, even the modeling that, that has been going on for over a year now uh, of, you know, sort of projecting ahead to the next season, the modeling for winter is actually much more optimistic than I think a lot of people uh, thought it would be. So some of these models are saying, you know, it's still going to continue to wane. This is going to truly become endemic rather than pandemic, which, you know, you could argue it already has been. But I think there's something else going on here, too, in terms of the power of a narrative and it's and it, the challenge of unseating it when the facts start to uh, compromise the narrative. And you have, particularly on the left, some of the holdouts in the vax- in the unvaxxed community are, are interest groups for whom the Democratic Party cannot and will not criticize. So I'll give you a, a local example and then a more national one. Here in D.C., um, the uh, teachers are all supposed to, in the schools, be vaccinated by sometime in November. Our mayor delayed the requirement because she was getting a lot of pushback from the teachers unions and from and those in the so-called community who were hesitant about vaccination. But only uh, only a little more than half of the teachers in the public school system right now are vaccinated. And they're, they're kind of being dodgy with the numbers. That's absolutely ridiculous. In New York, for example, you've had unions suing the, the state and the city, for, sorry, in New York City, suing the state about the vaccine mandates. A judge just recently said, no, you can't do that. The mandate goes ahead. 
And you have, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, folks organizing in New York just this past week, arguing that there should not be a vaccine mandate, that it is racist. So there's a weird shift going on in the conversation on the left about vaccines that the mainstream media and, and a lot of Democratic politicians do not want to get anywhere near. There was a protest of African-Americans outside the CDC a few weeks ago, too, again, protesting vaccines. So there is here, I think, conversations that need to be had that won't be had. And that's going to continue to fuel uh these higher rates and and cases. The thing now is that the vaccinated and the people who run institutions like schools and whatnot need to say is, you know what, that you're making a choice. You're not vaccinated. We know kids who are vaccinated, for example, at schools are not at risk. Younger kids are going to be eligible for vaccination. We're going to go on as if life needs to go on. And the rest of you are not going to be catered to. You're not going to get your virtual school. You're not going to get your, you know, your vaccine uh, exemptions. You'll lose your jobs if, if your job requires vaccination. You need to get on board. And that sounds harsh, but that's also going to affect folks on the right, too. Um, so you do have these fringe groups on either side now. And, and you see a lot of attention given to the right fringe and very little to the left right now. Um, I'm going to say something very dark. And I'm a little frightened to say it, but I mean, it, I don't know how to say this otherwise. Uh, we see this um, tenfold increase in deaths, okay, uh, from Delta uh, over the last two months. Um, I sent you guys these numbers. I'm trying to find them. Hold on. Okay. 60 days ago, two months ago, there were 272 deaths per day. Right now, there are 2,031 deaths per day, right? That's a tenfold increase. 60 days ago was July 23rd. Um, the vaccine had been, uh, had been available, uh, totally available across the country with very little difficulty, free, at that point, for four months. As we know, 75% of the country has now been vaccinated. of the deaths are among the unvaccinated. Um, Every single one of those deaths was unnecessary. And as long as those people are over 18 and had agency, they made a choice that led to their deaths. I don't know what the public policy implications are of that fact. They say something very dark about human nature. They say something very complicated about what it means to live in a country country in which the you know individual is paramount and people get the right to make these choices uh something that is very important it is the central glory of our political experiment but like all like everything uh involving fallen humans and 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 human pride and human sin and human foolishness and all of that um it's not an unmixed blessing and it's very complicated um but uh my 11-year-old doesn't have to wear a mask in school because 2,000 people chose not to get the shot that would have saved their lives. It's not a high-cost thing. I know a lot of people think that masking is a monstrous thing, and I actually don't accept that contention. I mean, it's a giant pain, and it's very annoying, and it probably has all these ancillary consequences. But it's all, this is all a uh, you know, a kind of um, a stand-in for other uh, cultural fights about about all of this. Uh, but the dark, the dark, the dark thing is that there actually are absolutely no public policy implications as a result of the fact that the vaccines have held 
to protect people from severe illness and death against the Delta variant. It worked. The vaccines worked. They worked against the first. <clears throat> they worked against the alpha. They're working against, they worked against Lambda. They work against Delta. Every single person practically who has died here died of their own choice. I don't Can know. I, how, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I, and I don't think that that's dark. That's a statement of, of, of a very tragic, but uh, true fact. I mean, that, that, because, and, and I say this as someone who looks at, I mean, particularly for groups that have public facing jobs where they deal with the public and not just the public that's capable of getting vaccination, but kids who as of yet aren't, it's not completely open to them. Teachers, uh, public health folks, uh, you know, medical folks, they've had access to the vaccine. They were put to the front of the line at the very beginning of this year, since January and February. Those who have chosen not to do that, I think, don't only put themselves at risk. They have a they have a moral responsibility if they infect others because they had the opportunity not to. The one thing about the masks debate is I think it also has undergone a slight shift in re- in recent weeks and months, and that's that as we see that vaccination works and that breakthrough infections are, are not uh, as high and scary as we thought they would be. We've also seen these draconian uh, reissuance of, of mask mandates in cities like New York and D.C. and elsewhere. And yet a lot of hypocrisy, much more public hypocrisy on the f- part of the officials who put these mass mandates into place. I think now a lot of the protests, and I include myself in this group now, I still wear my mask because I'm legally uh, obliged to in D.C., but it is farce. And the reason I don't like it is that they have not tell- told me when I can start taking it off again. It's the it's the absolute you know, forever masking part that I think a lot of people who otherwise wore their mask for you know a year and a half throughout the pandemic, as I happily did, um, are now starting to chafe at that, both literally of having this mask on our face all the time and for our kids who have to wear them all day, every day in school, even though they're fully vaccinated. When does it end? And that's the part where I think you're going to start to see more people who weren't radicalized now starting to go enough, like stop. When does this stop? You know, this question of people making their own choices and living with them or dying with them, in fact, um, this is no different from the types of choices adults have been making throughout history about what they consider uh, a reasonable risk, uh, risk reward trade-off in terms of their behaviors. Uh, This applies to people who eat wrong, who smoke, who drink too much, um, who don't exercise or exercise to whatever it is. And in all these other cases before COVID, there's nothing that smacked so instantaneously of government overstepping its bounds than when than these policies that would try to curb people in in those behaviors right when 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 you they would say you you, you can only buy sodas of a certain size um or even putting the calories uh having having you know um uh restaurant chains be required to put up the calories and everything. These are all aimed at people making their own decisions. Um, I never liked when government gets involved in that, and and, and I, it's I, I don't like it in in the in the case of the vaccine resistors, sort of for another reason. It doesn't. It's it's um, we're wasting our time and effort on them right. is, the, is, is just the truth. Okay, but here's the difference. Okay, because you're right. But again, if we go back to July, June, July, when when the vaccine, when the Delta variant, you know, began, it, it 
be clear, uh, was going to be a, a real problem. I have to repeat, we didn't know whether it's spreading like wildfire in this country was going to have parlous consequences on the already vaccinated. And we know now because the breakthrough infection story disappeared pretty much. All of us know people who have had breakthrough infections. I mean, I know two people right now got it, you know, three or four days ago. And they're sick the way you're sick with a flu because they're vaccinated. They hadn't been vaccinated. We don't know what the conditions were. The social legislation about social controls, the Cass Sunstein nudging you to better behavior thing, Bloomberg's soda tax and all of that, involved behaviors that are enormously complicated. Uh, in other words, like, yes, obesity is a problem, but uh, plenty of people can drink a 32-ounce Big Gulp without getting obese. Uh you know, you can smoke or not smoke, and smoking is a terrible, terrible thing to do because it has a high risk factor. But plenty of people who smoke don't get lung cancer. These, the body is a very complicated thing. And these things are very, you know, and this notion that there is a one-to-one correlation between, you know, you raise, because why should any? So you say, okay, well, you, you can't tax soda cups more. That's not legitimate or tax soda more. It's not your business. And they're like, well, what's the argument that it's good? And that's like, no, no, that's where that's where you have to get off. the. It's not for you to say that a person who wants to drink 32 ounces of Coke should be doing something else, Michael Bloomberg. Go away with your $60 billion and go bother somebody else. Buy your own country and import people and then have them live under your regime. In this case, in this case, right, we have a very simple calculus. There is a there is a disease spreading around. You can keep yourself from dying from it if you get this shot. Don't get the shot and your risk factor against the disease goes up. I don't know if it does, you know, in every individual case, because but what we see here in this aggregate number is it goes up tenfold. Um you don't do it, and I don't know why my behavior now that I am not at risk from it and your behavior is putting you at risk, why me and my and my people and all of that, why we are having our behavior controlled to deal with you. You have chosen to take this risk, and I don't think that the government should, for, you know, should force you to get a shot, but... Um, I have all these liberal politicians who are telling me that I now have to wear a mask forever. Like, th this is where we've totally lost the thread. Abe, I'm sorry, I was interrupting. Well, no, I, mean, I actually have a, a, a different point now that I, now that you got to the end of it, made me think of something else, which is that, I mean, you know, I, 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 my fear is that even if <clears throat> all the, un if, if a great many more of the vaccine resistant suddenly changed their mind, and went out and got vaccinated. There were then we'd have a regime that would be talking about zero COVID because now 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 that goal would be too tantalizingly close to give up on just because of what of the remaining you know pockets of holdouts. And we'd so we'd still 
people people who did the right thing would still have their behaviors um, encroached upon and by policies made crafted to coax still the remainers the re- those remaining unvaccinated to get and it would it would sort of never we never stop chasing this this perfect goal i'm i'm pretty sure of it but i mean that i think that's ultimately that's what what christine is talking about about the about the mask end date or something like that like they don't the and again this is where we we have now crafted a policy that has privileged neurotic fearful irrational people and their neurotic, fearful, irrational fears over the larger society's needs, wants, and desires. And it's really weird to me that public officials, elected leaders in this country, pander to that in a way that they never would to QAnon, uh, you know, neuroticism, right? I mean, that gets condemned. Th- those people are crazy. But the people right. who have this idea, they'll they'll still do the mask theater, take it off for their photo op, put it back on. It's ridiculous. Um, guys, uh, let me talk to you about uh, Super Beats Heart Shoes. Um, the new way to start your day, tasty treat to give you the energy you need. That's also good for you. Because as we age, the fatigue and lack of endurance we feel can't always be fixed with more and more caffeine. That's why you should try two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews to your morning routine and promote heart-healthy energy for your day without a caffeine crash. Look, it has this unique clinically researched grape seed extract as part of it, which promotes heart-healthy energy and normal blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle. The grapeseed extract used in Superbeat Heart Shoes has been clinically shown to be two times as effective at supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. Do more for your heart and treat yourself with Superbeat's Heart Shoes. Join over 1 million customers. Get free shipping and returns a 90-day money-back guarantee. And right now, you can get a free 30-day supply with your first purchase at superbeats.com slash commentary. That's S-U-P-E-R-B-E-E-T-S dot com slash commentary. And... Let me also talk to you about our friends at Bowling Branch who know high-quality sleep doesn't stop at your mattress. They're ultra-soft organic sheets, transparently sourced. You've heard me say it before. Produced in safe, fair conditions. You'll feel a difference, and you'll know you're making one. Those signature hem sheets are beloved bestsellers for a good reason. They get softer with every wash. They're buttery soft, lightweight, and a 100% organic cotton sateen weave. Perfect for all seasons, every size up to California King. And made with toxin-free processes and fair trade certification to ensure workers are paid for living wages. Founded in 2014 by husband and wife Scott and Missy Tannen, it all came down to a choice to do what's right. And they're continuously building a fair and better supply chain for the improvement of the entire future textile industry and pledging to double U.S. assembly jobs this year while they partner with family-owned businesses that align with the same values and standards. So to experience the best sheets you've ever held, choose Bowl and Branch. You can try them worry-free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. And my listeners get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code commentary. So... Uh, we got to go. Um, we will. I don't know. Are you taking popcorn or are you being good government people and worrying about the, you know, are, are you like torn uh, worrying about the future of the country as you watch the Democrats? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm popcorn all the way. He's full You're popcorn. popcorn. Yeah, I've got popcorn. the ingredients laid out. I'm just going to wait another 48 hours to decide if I'm going to pop it. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I don't know where I am. 
I, 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 I like I like popcorn, but a on the one hand, I you know don't want to jinx it by 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 starting to pop it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and on the other, I, I do I do think that what we're, we're seeing here is a kind of um, uh, decade long degeneration of uh, political processes that uh, cannot degenerate uh, much longer. I mean, we'll need some kind of renewal uh, or or our capacity to govern ourselves is going to be completely compromised. So with that crushing morosity, we'll uh, reconvene tomorrow for uh, Christine, Abe, and the absent Bill Rothman. I'm John Pop Keep the candle burning.